0: In March of 2008, I was invited to speak at a small gathering for a Bible study. Several young men that were friends of my son Mike's had heard about me having this passion for this one-anothering thing, this biblical counseling, whatever it was at the time, trying to figure all that out. And so they said, Mr. Hummel, would you come and speak to us at our Bible study, we're going to meet at this home, and and could you, how many nights would you like, would you like one or two, I said, well, I'll take two, if you're going to give me two, so I had back-to-back nights to speak, and when I got to the house, one of the young men that was living in the house, who wasn't part of the study, was named Jordan, now, we get to know Jordan a little bit tonight, and you'll get to know him a little bit later on in the class. And all the things, it's his name, and he's given me freedom to tell you everything that I'm going to tell you about Jordan. He said, I'm Jim to him now. I was Mr. Hummel then, but we've become, I'm Jim. So he said, you can tell whatever you want, because I'm just grateful for what the Lord has done. So Jordan said, so Mr. Hummel, what are you talking about at this Bible study? So I told him a little bit about it. He goes, ooh. That sounds interesting. Do you mind if I stay and be part of the class? Well, I said, well, it's all right with me, you might ask your roommate here. Oh, sure, you can stay, Jordan. So, Jordan, I was to find out later, didn't know this at the time before the class, but I was to find out later that Jordan had been diagnosed with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. When he was 11 and at this time Jordan was 30 years old actually 28 years old roughly so he had been in counseling secular counseling professional counseling uh, Christian counseling he'd been on medication since he was 11 with OCD now Jordan's OCD was not the type that monk had where the TV show where he's very fastidious and very careful about everything he does more of a cleanliness and orderly type of OCD. Jordan's was mental. Jordan was very bright, and he would start thinking about things, big things, and he wanted to put all the pieces together. He was trying to make sense of everything. And if he couldn't connect the dots to all of his thoughts, he would unravel. It would frustrate him. That was the OCD that Jordan had. I didn't know any of this, before that evening, so Jordan's sitting in the audience, and I'm introduced by the guy leading the Bible study, who does a nice introduction, and so I start talking, well, let me talk I'll you, you know, ramble, ramble for as I can do, well, less than five minutes into my talk, Jordan raises his hand, excuse me, Mr. Hummel, I've got a question for you, oh, brother, right away, go ahead, Jordan, what's your question? here's what Jordan asked me what makes you competent Mr. Humble, to talk to our class about counseling well you guys can answer that question tonight can't you because we spent four weeks talking about a little bit of this how well would you answer that question I answered it for Jordan that night Enough that he came back the next Wednesday. Enough that we started to meet on a regular basis. And Jordan's story, the rest of the story, as as Paul Harvey would say, "Thank you, Karen." Is will come later with Jordan. Jordan, OCD. Now that is not easy. But then none of these things are easy. We've we've looked at these before, right? So. Let's step back for a minute. We've, we've covered the first two beliefs of our foundational beliefs of the five we're going to go through. I'm going to give you the beliefs again, and then I'd like you to think and I'd like you to tell me, based on what you know right now, what does that mean in terms of who you would call and the kind of needs that we're addressing. Let's see how much you've processed so far. Foundation belief number one, a Christian has been given life in Christ. Who we call for help and the answers we are seeking are significantly influenced by our understanding of the gospel. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, a Christian has been given new, complete resurrection life in Christ. We have literally been twice born And this resurrection life in the sun, Zoe, is fundamentally different than the universal center of our experiences that we call life under the sun, Suke. And that belief, our first belief, was designed to try to help us address what are the pressing issues behind the calls we make, the books we read for help, and the programs we attend to to get help. So, what did we address that first couple nights when we discussed belief number one? Give me give me some of the feedback as to some of the issues. What did you learn? You learned something, I know, because I've had a couple emails and some good conversations. If somebody were to ask you to explain the, you know, maybe the difference, look at it through... Um, how about judgment? How you might view judgment in Suke and Zoe? What's the difference there? In Zoe, what happens with judgment? We're covered. Pardon? We're covered. We're covered. We don't face judgment in Zoe, do we? We're not under his wrath anymore, right? What else? What about the influence of the therapeutic gospel? What does that do for us? Pardon? I think I missed the question. You missed the question. What... What did you learn? What are the ramifications of what you learned from this first foundation belief about the issues that we call and the tension between Zoe and Suke? That's great. Because we're in Christ, so we we did learn about the fact that we are, when we're talking about Zoe, we're talking about being in Christ. There's something different, fundamentally different, ontologically different. We're new creatures. And we have this resurrection life in Christ. So we're going to look at life differently, right? We're going to see life through a different um, view. We have a whole new life to look at. How about our affections, the struggle between the affections? How does that impact us? Yeah. yeah we've, we actually now love the things of God, not as much as we should, We all know that. But we have an affection toward the things of God. We have the Holy Spirit now. That's okay. I'm going to help us think through this a little bit more. How about the second belief? A Christian has been given light and sight in Christ. As Christians, we have light and sight in Christ, which is uniquely different and superior to creation. So we talked about revelation And illumination. And we said that that addresses a second big question. Who do we call and why? So we tried to address two big questions in this class. People have needs. They have issues. They have trials in life. And what's going on is the call is to professionals typically. Particularly professional counseling. And why is it that that's the call, and what are they asking for, and who are they calling instead of calling on one another? Why do they make those calls, right? So any, any summary thoughts on that? Why do you think people call professional counselors? To get a fix. Escape pain, Escape pain and suffering. That's exactly right. They can deliver, can't they? And? To some degree, they do. We call who we believe has the answers for what we think we believe. It's a good way of saying it, too. So all of that is, as Renee said, it's, it's our worldview. It's what we're thinking about, what we need, and who can deliver that. Now, if Jordan were your friend and sat down with you, or you sit down with somebody with great grief... A young lady or a young man struggling with alcohol or a middle-aged man who's been diagnosed with severe depression. A fourth grader that we talked about here a couple of weeks ago who's struggling with ADHD. An older person who can't sleep at night struggling with acute anxiety. A middle-aged couple whose marriage has fallen apart and there's no hope. Now, can you bring anything... these people? Do you feel competent to be able to help? Would you know where to start? That's what this class is about. I mean hopefully by the time before the end of the class this 12 weeks if a Jordan walked around you know walked into your life you would with great confidence know exactly what you could say and what you could do and you wouldn't think twice about going, oh, that is beyond my knowledge. I hope. We have looked at trying to summarize these two first beliefs through another series of slides that Steve put together that had to do with purpose and remedy and solution. It was more targeted, if you remember that. So what we're going to do tonight is... I'm going to try to answer what I just threw out to you, because I because you gave me some good thoughts. But I'm going to try to put these in four categories that are a broader or theological way of thinking about suke and zoe and light and sight. Now, these don't have specific verses attached to them, because we've gone through a lot of verses so far. But as I said before, maybe that's something you can work on even over the next... Several weeks when we have that eight-week break between first and second half. Be thinking about some of the verses we've already covered and which ones might fit. Some of them will jump right out when you see this, you know, the summary thoughts. Also, some of the thoughts that you're going to see we haven't fully covered quite yet or haven't covered maybe uh, at all. So let's talk about Zoe, first of all. Zoe. Zoe. Resurrection life, life in the sun. If we live by Zoe, how do we look at judgment? Well, we pass from death to life. Or, and yes, chances are we will still experience physical death. But not eternal existence of torment in hell. As we discussed before, examples like... We fall asleep in the Lord. All those examples that deal with with the difference of having a resurrection life and being born twice, being born again. Now, there's a whole bunch of verses that could probably jump out at you on judgment, right? We know we're no longer under the wrath of God anymore. We're his children. Any questions on that? Isn't that true? All right. let's look at a second category for Zoe. Affections. If we live by Zoe, our affections are going to be upward. We hope. The new vehicle and affections from redemptive sight and beyond our tent and human experience, we can now experience joy, peace, godliness, contentment, fruit of the Spirit, etc. We don't experience that if you're not in Christ, correct? So all we can experience outside Christ are the experiences of life under the sun. That's all we have, life on the earth. We can enjoy general creation, we can enjoy food, and we can enjoy our home. We can enjoy all of that. But those affections, as we all know, are temporal. Where do we get peace, godliness, contentment, fruit of the Spirit? Where does that come from? Father of light. All good things come from the Father. And how does he deliver that to us? Based on what we've learned so far. How do we get that? Those items. From what kind of revelation? Special Special revelation. Do we get joy, peace, godliness, contentment, fruit of the spirit from general revelation? No. Those are spiritually, spiritual gifts. Those are effects of the spirit or fruit of the spirit. Well, how about a third category, purposes. If we live by Zoe, we have an eschatological hope, a future hope, future things hope. Now, we haven't explained that yet. You kind of know what that means. But when we hit belief three shortly, that will make more sense we're going through a divine and redemptive plan while well, being changed from image to image, simultaneously groaning in this earthly tent with anticipation. Isn't that true? Being changed. Changed from what? From what to what? What's one of the, the verse say? Darkness from darkness to light. But as believers who are already in the light, we're being changed from what to what? Glory to glory. What does that mean? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. The final and fourth category to to sort of look at these things is our walk. If we live by Zoe, our walk is through special revelation. Because now I have the internal testimony and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Even at times and with the reality of sin, I may grieve the Holy Spirit. I now desire to please him. His word provides hope, joy, security, and peace. Isn't that true? We don't walk by sight anymore. We walk by faith. We walk by faith that comes from what? The word of God the special revelation God's given us that the Holy Spirit illumines to us to give us spiritual eyes, to give us the mind of Christ, to see things from the position of being in Christ. Well, that's wonderful. That's Zoe. But Zoe isn't Suke. We've learned that, haven't we? So how about Suke? What does judgment look by if... If we live by Suke, now understand there's a tug of war going on, isn't there? But we're so naturally inclined towards Suke, still, as believers. It's still, as new creatures in Christ, we're still so tugged there, and we're tugged there by the therapeutic gospel, we're tugged there by the world, we're tugged there by the enemy. Our Lord learned that in the wilderness. We learn that by example. So, judgment, if we live by suke, judgment, the constant fear of death. Rest is only physical in nature based on REM state and cycles. Because of the fall, guilt and shame are always bubbling up to the surface, being manifested in broken human behavior. The natural man suppresses any truth that is constantly trumped forth by creation. How many of you know, even Christians, that live in great fear of death? How many of us, at times, have that great fear of death? It's a real thing. This is where it comes from. In fact, we read in Hebrews that one of the evidences of being a believer is that we've been freed from the enslavement to the fear of death. Isn't that a sweet thing? You can almost tell when you're witnessing to somebody if they're afraid of dying, really afraid of dying, it's likely that maybe they're not saved. But all of us as believers struggle with it too. How about affections? If we live by suke, our affections are solely impacted by how we view our tent below and whether we have started to try and convert it for the long term adding a foundation, windows, paint, crown molding and an incredible sweeping staircase, etc. Thank you Steve Terrell for his literate help. Steve by the way, as you know if you don't know, Steve did these slides. He's very artistic But he's more than artistic. For 15 years, we've been talking about this stuff. So a lot of the words, a lot of the thoughts. So again, I I know you don't want, you're doing it to the Lord. But I want to thank you, Steve, because he was working on one of them, a couple of them today. This type of suke affection leads to the greater love of the physical and the finite as it relates to the here and now. That's what we love. We're struggling with what we love here. Isn't that true? Questions on this? Make sense? How about purposes? If we live by Suke, our purposes have to do with the present hope, not the future eschatological hope, but the present hope. The therapeutic gospel that we talked about, it fuels the old man desires towards a love of Suke promises to deliver, as Amy just said, a fix for my angst, turns us inward with the payoff of solving the here and now. Thus we make calls for Suke reasons, not Zoe reasons. How about walk? If we live by Suke, is it a walk by special revelation? No. Give me somebody licensed and certified, an LPC. Why in the world would I consider an elder, believing friend, or pastor? I assure you, everyone in this room has heard that from somebody, even in good churches. Are you kidding me? You, you, you think you can help this person? You, you're not trained. You're not certified. You're not equipped. You're not competent. You need a professional. That is common. That overwhelmingly... That's why this class is being held, is because that's on speed dial. General revelation is the source of the solution. Professionals will fix the horizontal and relieve the associated pain. I want my tent in relief from all situations and circumstances that may have a direct impact. I'm not going anywhere. And if I happen to die, I have that United Van Lines attached to the back of my hearse because that's what I think about. Well, I hope that these four Views of looking at Sukey and Zoe and SR, general revelation, special revelation, light inside. I hope that it at least helps you frame up the issues a little bit. Spend some time with these slides. Think about them. Think of verses that we've already covered or other verses that fine tune this. I need that help. I mean, I've asked you for help on that. I, I would love that. We're going to meet next week. We're off for eight weeks. We have a lot of time. So look at these slides. Think about them. Think about what verses really anchor those thoughts. Or something you might change. This is, it's always dangerous to do a topical study and to throw things out. And it, I need my fellow believers to say, Jim, I think you missed something. Or this would be a better verse. Or this is more compelling. Very open for that. I love that. I've already had some of that so far in the class. Okay, so I'm going to quote my friend Steve again. This is from a couple of years ago, but it fits right now. If you want to take something else, take those four categories that we've just talked about and put it into a statement. There are critical moments... Steve Terrell said, we face in life that sadly we generally respond to by impulse. Just so we can take action to resolve our problems, fix our situation, find relief, or do anything to get out and away from pain. And to our hurt and destruction, when we think we're being more introspective, reflective, thoughtful, or discriminating, we compound this. By assuming real and hard answers can only come by professionals. Those who have greater and better knowledge from hidden science. More astute, better trained and certified, vetted and validated. The real deal, and I know this, the hourly rate I'm paying more than warrants the answers I'm receiving from both the weekly sessions and medication prescribed. So that's a summary at least of points one and two, of beliefs one and two. Have we exhausted those? Absolutely not. High end. Belief three. That's going to point us towards this issue. These issues. Because we do have life in Christ. We do have light and sight in Christ. The reality is all this stuff exists. Pain and trials and difficulties are real. They're everywhere. So let's take our special revelation for a minute. Our SR gift from God. And let's let's look at another place in the word that might open our eyes toward some of these trials and difficulties. And we already looked at the wilderness temptations of our Lord. Remember that? And how they were Suke Zoe oriented. How about another wilderness experience? Do you all know of another one in the scriptures? Of course you do. Forty years, the nation Israel. Is that supposed to teach us something? Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10. Because even though we have a future hope, right, that it is assured for us, we're not there yet. We're living in a gap. I like to think of it like that. And one of the sermons that a fellow named David Short taught that Steve introduced me to talked a whole lot about this gap between what we are here in our experiences here, and where we're going, and, and that's what life is, is that gap. Well, for the nation Israel, there was a 40-year gap toward the promised land. And starting with verse 1 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Skip down to verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, that he does not fall. No temptation has overcome, has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation, will provide the way of escape, also, so that you will be able to endure it. Okay, let me hit this again. Make sure. So, what were the issues? What were the some of the struggles that the nation had in those forty years? Put it in uh, terms for me. Were they anxious? You think from time to time? Of course. What else? Depressed. depressed. Why would they be depressed? They're tired of eating manna. Tired of eating manna. <laughs> yeah. What else? What else bothered them? What else were their trials and difficulties? Giant, giants. giants. Yeah. Well, they did have they had some uh, physical terror, some struggles there. What else? Fear, lack of faith, absolutely. Wanting wanting to know what's going to happen, struggling with, is God really good? Look what he's doing to us. Look where we're going. And why did the cloud move today? We just got here. They were hungry, right? Think there are any marriage problems? (laughs) Absolutely. How about grief? A lot of people died on this journey, didn't they? I think there was grief that was overwhelming so I've got another question for you how many of the Israelites in those 40 years struggled with OCD how many that how about ADHD how about bipolar how many of them struggle with bipolar it's hard to answer that isn't it they, invented those terms. they hadn't invented those terms yet Rob said <laughs> They hadn't invented those terms yet, but isn't that an interesting thing to think about? It doesn't mean didn't suffer it. No, it doesn't mean they didn't struggle with those issues at all. That's exactly right. There's a, there's there's a lot for us to learn as we look at that wilderness experience of theirs and and this gap that they were living in and that we're living in, whatever our own wilderness experience may be, our own pain and trials and difficulties, and how we define those. Well, with that in mind, let's look at foundation belief number three, shall we? Foundation belief number three. A Christian understands and interprets pain differently in Christ. As Christians, pain, trials, and difficulties are a primary means that the Holy Spirit uses to transform us to be more like Christ and to produce in us the joy that flows from hope, the hope of a future that will not disappoint. So let's read this again. Foundation belief number three, a Christian understands and interprets pain differently in Christ. As Christians, pain, trials, and difficulties are a primary means that the Holy Spirit uses to transform us to be more like Christ and to produce in us the joy that flows from hope, the hope of a future that will not disappoint. So tonight I'm going to give you a couple scriptures just to introduce this belief. And then next week we're going to press into it more. Because there's a lot of verses that we could go to on this. But a good place to start is Romans 5. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of glory and glory. Of God and not only this but we also exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us exult in tribulations what does James 1, three say? Count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials and difficulties. How in the world do we make sense that we are to exult in tribulations and to count it all joy when we encounter this stuff? These tri- How do we make sense of that? Nobody even thinks like that today. But that's what... Special revelation tells us, isn't it? How many married couples that you know, the first thought on their mind in the midst of their marriage difficulties, count it all joy that God has given us a trial in this marriage. Because maybe there's something bigger going on than just this. Isn't that possible? That, that God has something bigger than just what we see in a horizontal suke oriented problem that is temporal by the way for marriage the good news for karen is marriage is temporal okay there's no marriage in heaven she's not stuck with me in that kind of way for eternity now i'm afraid we're probably going to be together in eternity i mean i'm not afraid of that i'm looking forward to that now there's another text that a wonderful sermon that by David Short as well, tied together. And what would be another text that would be good that talks about exult, exulting in trials and difficulties? Be brave. Anybody? Going once, going twice. How about Romans 8? So let's look at Romans 8 in three sections, verses 8, 16 through 25, but I'm just going to read the three sections, make a comment or two, and let you think about it. The Spirit himself, this is verses 16 through 18. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That doesn't sound like judgment, does it? And if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Eschatological glory. Hope that should give us joy. Verses 19 through 22. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. What did we say in foundation belief number two? We talked about light and sight in Christ and how it's different from what? Creation. Creation and you and me, we have the same problem. We're all groaning. And interestingly enough, general revelation, creation and us. Part of the creation. We are part of that, right? People. Part of his creation. Created differently. We're not animals. We're different. And all of that's going to come together wonderfully in the future. It's a wonderful thought to know that even the creation that we struggle with, that we live under the sun with, is groaning. And what are they groaning for? They're, they're looking forward to us. John Piper did a wonderful message. He spoke at the village church on this text, remember? When Matt Chandler had just announced his brain tumor. And it is it's it is, it is uh, glorious, beautiful, as Amy would say. Verses 23 through 25 of chapter 8 of Romans. And not only this, but we also, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, With perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Isn't that sweet? Is that what you groan for? When you groan in the midst of trials and difficulties, are you groaning for this? Are you groaning because your spouse isn't delivering the goods? Because your work ended and it's hard when you lose jobs. It's hard when you struggle with marriages. But and. All of that is worthy of groaning. But that's pretty much all we groan for. That's all we struggle with. We don't groan for this. We ought to. This is an internal groaning. it's, It's a personal groaning. It doesn't have to be on the corner of the street. This is a spiritual groaning. This is a... This is a, I want I want that in him more than I want this in me. So, the groaning is, is a groaning towards a vertical groaning. There's a lot of other verses. We could go to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. There's, there's a whole lot of good verses to talk about afflictions and trials, lots of them. We're going to press more into those, particularly, though, as, you know, as we examine the counseling world in more detail. And the counseling world is, we've touched base on Jay Adams a little bit with this. And by the way, just I just was thinking about this, kind of interesting, isn't it, that who was it that Christian had with him after Faithful died and was martyred in Vanity Fair, who was Christian's companion to the rest of his life until he crossed into the celestial city. Hopeful. Isn't that nice? That's how important hope is. The hope of glory. John Bunyan got it in 1650. Now that we've sort of set this up, and we have the first three beliefs, now I think we can zero in now on... on what counseling is, and I promise you we're going to get well into that next week, but let's move it forward a little bit tonight, just for an extra slide, because what we've been saying is that this is a different world. We haven't said it's evil, we said it's different. It delivers different things. It promises different things, and one of the issues we came up with was how to What about this word counsel itself? I mean, there's all these one anotherings. This class is a call to one another ministry. We're to care for one another. This is all over scripture. So are we to counsel one another? And what does that mean? So we tried to define our terms. And I gave you J. Adams' verse that he wrote competent to counsel from. Well, What we didn't get into in great detail was was the translation, what this word admonish, which Jay translated as counsel, means. A couple of you have been in my class before know that, but does anybody know what the word counsel means biblically? Not what biblical counseling is, but how about the biblical word counsel? It's a biblical word, right? He's the wonderful counselor. It's in the Old Testament, certainly. In that passage, it means military advisor. Throughout all of the Old Testament, it means advisor. It means somebody to get wisdom from, to make a decision with, to know what God's will might be. Who do I, where do I go to college? Who do I marry? What doctor should I choose? Who should I fight in the battle? What direction should I go? What house should I buy? That's good counsel. That's good biblical counsel. That's good advice. Nowhere in Scripture is the word counsel used to deal with this stuff. Pain, difficulties, trials, internal issues. Nowhere. It's never used for that. So why in the world would Jay Adams take the word admonish, nuthetio, which is used seven or eight times in the New Testament, and and call it counsel instead of admonish. Pardon? Yeah, the equivalent Hebrew word is, for counseling is, I will tell you, it's etzah, moetzah, and... I have trouble. I'm not, but they all meet. I have. I have. We had a Dallas Seminary student. Steve paid him to do the study on the word. So I'm not sure. No, I'm not asking for the word. I'm asking if there was. Yes, there is. Yes. I'm just saying we should let the Bible speak to us as special revelation speaks to us. We should use terms that the Bible uses. The Bible calls this admonish, nuthetio. So my question is, why did Jay decide to call it counsel? Yes, and, and that's an, another, not, it's, it's a different point and maybe is as big of an issue. Why did he take the word able and call that competent? in terms of learning and expertise and certain kinds of knowledge, which if you read his book, that's what he says. Well, that answer is coming next week. But I believe that the word counsel one another, the way we're even using it today, even the best of our biblical counseling friends, whom I love their writings, They've taken the word counsel, which should be admonished. And the ramifications of that are not insignificant. You will see that next week when we talk about counseling. And if you think about it, you'll see it too. I was in the very first class that I took from a wonderful biblical counselor five years ago. We're sitting at a church, and we're in a round table discussing some of these things. And this lady turns to me, she said, Jim, I... I'm just never going to be a good counselor. I don't know how to do this. I mean, it seems like so much to learn. And, and I don't remember her first name. I didn't go to church with really. her. I said, Well, just think about it instead of as a counselor, think about it as a believer. Oh, well, I can do that. I said, So if a believer with your friend who's struggling with grief, what would you do? Well, I would pray with her, I would encourage her, we'd read the word together. That's a good start. The the ramifications of counseling terminology are significant. And and we need to delve into that more next week. So I didn't move it too far forward, and we're going to talk about it. Well, I know it's 8 o'clock, but I have another story, and I have another question. One year ago, December 2nd, which is a year ago yesterday, a dear 35-year-old Christian friend, Heidi, died. No, we know better, don't we? She fell asleep. Heidi and her family were originally from Cambodia, and she found herself in her last few years kept alive only by the means of dialysis three times a week. Every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, Five to six hours, hooked up. She attended one of my earlier classes about three years ago, and we bonded quickly, as everybody did with Heidi. She'd not been a Christian for long, and she had a deep hunger to learn God's Word, and more importantly, to know God. And because life on earth, life under the sun, suke, was really hard for her, she longed for Zoe, to be more real for her. Indeed, I had just begun to talk about some of this Zoe Suke stuff. Just started to study this when I shared those two words with her and some of the accompanying verses on one Friday afternoon during our regular dessert opportunity at La Madeline. She sent me a text later that day and said, Praise God for Zoe. Because suke is really, really hard right now. So from then on, we often talked about suke and zoe types of struggles. And then one Friday afternoon, just a few months before she fell asleep, she asked me one remarkable question. And as we started this evening with a question, let me finish the evening with a question. This single question revealed how our Lord was drawing so near to her in the last several months, but it will also serve, I hope, as a wonderful example of somebody who, in the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of a great trial, understood Zoe. This particular afternoon, she was very serious. As we sat down to enjoy our dessert, she said, Jim, now I... I want to ask you a difficult question, and I want you to give me a straight answer to it. I don't want you to make me feel good. I said, okay. So here's what she asked. Is it okay for me to pray not to be healed? Is it okay for me to pray not to be healed? I remembered my eyes teared up a little bit. And then I asked her, Well, sure, that's okay, but tell me why you want to change the way you pray. She said that her journey on dialysis, her journey of pain and discomfort, had helped her to know the love of Jesus in a way she'd never experienced. And in addition, that God was using her to minister to others in ways that she never thought was possible. And she was a pretty young believer. She said, I fear that having good health might not allow me to enjoy the presence of Jesus as much or to be able to serve him as much. I fear that I might start to love this life more than Jesus. So if he wants me to be on dialysis for the rest of my life, I'm okay with that. Isn't that remarkable? Now, you know, and we've talked some about what this what she was really saying, she got it, she knew that the nearness of God, that nearness here, in that ultimate nearness of the hope of glory, was was her focus. It's what meant everything to her, and she had lots of good friends who prayed for her to be healed, prayed for her to be healed, thought that that was the ultimate answer. Is it? Of course not. That's a Suke answer. Did we want her to be healed physically? Nobody wants anybody to be in pain. And we rejoice with physical healing. And Lazarus, I'm sure, rejoiced as well when the Lord visited his table after he'd raised him from the dead and they ate a meal together, as the scripture tells us. But you know what? Lazarus had to die again because that wasn't the end of it for Lazarus. On Heidi's Facebook page, she had this verse. I count everything as loss, even being healed, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And she loved Ephesians 3. I don't know why she loved Ephesians so much. (laughs) I pray that I might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you, and beside you I desire nothing on earth. But as for me, the nearness of God is my only good. She got it, didn't she? She got it. And she's left us to remember that remarkable question. And when we see her again at that heavenly banquet, we can thank her for what the Lord did in revealing that to her that she might share it with us. Any questions? Statement? No, No, that's excellent, Tom. What Tom's asked, just very worthwhile. Heidi wanted to be healed. She wasn't saying that she did not want to be healed. She, She continued to pray to be healed. She was just asking if it was okay for her to not pray to be healed. In other words... If the driving force is, I want to be healed, I want to be healed, and 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 she had just come to a point, Tom, in her life when everybody was pushing on her, even well-meaning believers, that being healed, praying to be healed, that was the ultimate answer to her pain. And in her mind, she had come to a point where that wasn't the ultimate answer to her pain. If God wanted her to be on dialysis... At that time, she didn't know she was going to die just a few months later by a very odd thing. But if God wanted her to be on dialysis, not to have a transplant, to suffer like that, she was willing to do it for him if that was his will. So that's an excellent point. She wasn't being masochistic about it. She was just saying, Lord, your will be done on earth as well as in heaven. And if you want me to be healed, I'll rejoice. But if you don't... I'm going to rejoice and to some degree I'm a little afraid of being healed because right now the Lord is so close to me and he's using me. And you can see examples and examples of believers like a Johnny Erickson Tata who others who have been used wonderfully who have never been healed. So that, did that answer your question? I think that's a good point. It's an excellent point. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you for that hope of glory. We thank you that even now you're changing us from glory to glory, making us be more like your Son, even though it is painful to do that. Trials and difficulties are painful. But we thank you that your Word, your special revelation, has given us reasons, divine reasons for pain and difficulties and trials that are good, and that this hope can allow us to perhaps rejoice more and more in the things that happen to us here on earth, knowing that they are temporary and they do not compare to the glory that is to be revealed. We thank you for that. We praise you for the salvation we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.